I don't shy away from the hard stuff anymore. And that's like, I know I enjoy like hard things from, you know, a training perspective, like super challenging races, but that, al- that also goes like emotionally. Like I can't expect to be a better person unless I can, you know, work through those things as well. So I'm happy to talk about hard subjects. <laughs> What's up, everyone? That was Hillary Allen. You just heard from a few seconds ago. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hillary, who is a professional athlete, coach, teacher, and now published author, is a returning guest to the show. Be sure to check out her first appearance back on episode 49 if you haven't already. And she's just one of my favorite people to talk to in general. In this conversation, we talked about her new book, Out and Back, A Runner's Story of Survival Against All Odds, which just came out. She told me about how it came to be, what she's learned from revisiting it recently while she's been recovering from foot surgery, and how writing became a cathartic exercise for her. We talked about her stubborn and independent streaks, why asking for help is challenging for her, the importance of cultivating and leaning into your community, no matter how small it is, and a lot more. A big thank you to Picky Bars for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I am stoked on this partnership. It's a dream come true, really. I've been fueling myself on Picky products since day one, and it's been incredible to watch the company grow and the product line expand. Picky makes their products with real ingredients that I can pronounce and recognize, and there's a peace of mind that comes from not second-guessing what I'm putting into my body. The bars are a go-to for me before a run, and even when I'm just out running errands, particularly the Ah Fudge Nuts flavor, it's my favorite, and I can't get enough of the pb and all-day granola in my yogurt. It's it really, it's, it's silly how many servings that I can fit into one bowl. And did I hear someone mention protein pancakes? Yes, please. My friends at Picky Bars are offering a great deal to Morning Shakeout listeners. Go to pickybars.com slash Mario and enter the code Mario at checkout. That's M-A-R-I-O all caps, to save 20% off your purchase of 25 bucks or more. You can also join the Picky Club at that link, which is a subscription service, and save 20% off your first box with the code MARIO. That's M-A-R-I-O and all caps. Super easy, amazing offer. Take advantage of it while you can at pickybars.com slash Mario. Also, thank you to the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Lock in your July 4th weekend plans as both member and lottery registrations for the AJC Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia is going on right now. The race will be held in person and virtually this year over two days, July 3rd and 4th. Strict COVID-19 safety precautions will be in place for the in-person version. Limited spots are available, and Atlanta Track Club members get guaranteed entry and race day preference. If you're not a member of the Atlanta Track Club, you can join today, no matter where you live, and then sign up to get a guaranteed spot at Peachtree. Non-members will be placed into a lottery, and race day preference will be accommodated as spots remain. This 10K is one of America's iconic road races, and we're all excited for a safe return to action here in 2021. So registration is going on right now until May 1st, and you can put your name in today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. That's AJC.com slash Peachtree. Okay, let's dive into another incredible conversation with my good friend, Hillary Allen. Alan, welcome back to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, Mario. I'm so happy to be here. It's been a while. It, it has been a while. Almost two years. A little over two years, actually. It was yeah. February, January, February 2019 uh, that we recorded our last podcast together, which I believe was, I want to say, episode 47 or 49, so don't quote me on that. Those <laughs> of you listening to this, if you haven't checked it out, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes because... That was that was an epic conversation. I mean, that was the <laughs> longest podcast that I had recorded to that point. It was like an hour and 45 yeah. minutes. We did it in person uh, because you were passing through the Bay Area, and it remains one of my mm-hmm. favorite conversations to this day. 
Oh, me too. And I remember it was like in the, in the hotel room, you know, pre-COVID times. Yeah, <laughs> in a hotel room in Marin. Um, yeah. Oh, man. It was, yeah, I, I still remember that. It's like sometimes I go back and listen to it because it was, it was just such a good conversation. <laughs> well, I want to pick up where we left off the last time that we spoke for the podcast. We've spoken a few times uh, in the yeah. interim, but <laughs> you said at the end of that conversation that everyone has something that they're dealing with, that they're overcoming. And if they can dive into those uncomfortable feelings, they can overcome these things if they just hold on to this belief that it will be better if they put in the work and lay down those imperfect bricks. And I'm just going to let you sit with that for a few seconds. But my question is, in what ways does that resonate with you right now? Oh, man, more than you know. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I truly believe that. I truly do believe that challenges are are made for you to overcome. Um, and at the same time, it doesn't get any easier. I mean, everyone has, has um, something that they're dealing with. I mean, as you know, whether it's as athletes for injuries and recovery. And I mean, ironically before, you know, I said those words. And then I think maybe a week later, mm-hmm. I broke my ankle <laughs> in in 2019 after we had spoken. And so, you know, I kind of had, I had to dig deep again and, and go into this, you know, recovery um, phase. And I'm so glad that I had, you know, that deep seated belief that I knew if I put in the work, I would learn and, you know, I'd be a better person for it. Um, but that didn't make it any easier. I was incredibly upset. Um, there was a grieving period going into that acceptance and then moving forward. Um, And so I find myself in a similar situation today where I am dealing with another injury. I broke my foot and um, it was kind of this long prolonged saga of not really knowing what was wrong. Um, You know, going to some doctors, getting some like misdiagnoses and then finding out that I had severely broken my foot and it needed surgery. And I hit a low, a really, really, really big low. Um, I had to let myself feel it. And even in that low, I still, I still do believe that this is here to teach me something, even though I don't really know what that something is at the moment. Um, I think that's okay, but it's, I'm not going to let this challenge, um, hold me back and I'm not going to give up, you know, I'm still going to move forward and I'm still going to do what I can, even though I feel upset or sad, or I'm still kind of grieving the loss of, you know, my mobility and, you know, embracing recovery and a new kind of speed of life. Um, yeah, I think that those, those different emotions can exist simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all rooted in exactly that, that belief that, um, you know, challenges are there and kind of, I view them as an invitation to, you know, to learn something and to, to dig deeper. What are you learning right now? <laughs> I'm learning that it's really, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm learning that I really love running. I'm learning that I'm, you know, part of me that it will always be me is I'm part of me is always going to be an athlete and that the grief and loss from moving through recovery or moving through hard times that's there because I love it so much and I wouldn't change it. And so I feel like grief and happiness are kind of like, it's like a straight line, like a 180, right? It's like they're connected to one another. And I, I feel like I can't experience happiness unless I've experienced loss or hardship. Um, and so I think that they're equally important. Um, although one might be a little bit more uncomfortable to, to endure. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of your past experiences, the accident, which we talked about at length in the last podcast that we recorded together, the broken ankle that you just mentioned shortly after our last conversation. I hope I'm not jinxing you by talking to you right now and something else goes awry <laughs> um, later this week, knock on wood. Um, no, no. <laughs> but but in this, in this current low that you've been working through because of your past experiences, did you feel that you were better equipped to navigate that than you were in the past? Yeah. So this is a really good question because it's something I've asked myself uh, many times. (laughs) Um, I will say that when I broke my ankle, um, 
I did experience, like I said, that grief, that mm-hmm. sadness. Um, but I do know that it lasted a short amount of time that I spent less time there before I kind of like kicked myself into high gear and was like, okay, let's do this. Let's do the recovery. Um, and that was still kind of the same pattern for this current injury. Maybe it was a little bit prolonged, like the diagnoses, but as soon as like I had a plan and like, I knew what to do, I was still sad and kind of in this grief period, but then I was able to, you know, be confident that, okay, I've, I've done this before. I know what to do. Even though it's not going to be enjoyable, it's not what I want to be doing. Um, I know I can do it. Um, and so, like I said, it doesn't get any easier, but um, it gets easier for me to make the transition, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it change your perspective for the future? I mean, anytime we get injured, it puts the brakes on whatever momentum that we had going. It forces us to start second guessing ourselves on some level, questioning if this is a pursuit that we really want to be making. I mean, you're, I think, less than two weeks removed from surgery as of this conversation, but have you been Mm -hmm. thinking about what the future looks like for you, Hillary Allen, as a competitive athlete coming out of this? Yeah. I mean, that was also part of like the grief. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sport, especially competition is, it is based on that momentum and, you know, like putting different weeks and and training cycles and together and coming into this injury, I was at a super fit place. I was training for this personal project of mine to Everest Green Mountain to celebrate the launch of my book. And then all of a sudden this happened. And, um, so then it puts in question, you know, that, and then also like the goals and, and, um, you know, you know, basically kind of personal projects, races, whatever happens for, for the summer. Um, and it's a really humbling experience because not only do I love to do this, but there's also kind of like an obligation to it as well. And it's really tricky. I mean, but I think for me, Certainly, I ask myself those questions. Like, what does this mean for my future? Can I come back? Can I, do I have the motivation to like put in the recovery grind? Do I have the motivation to train and like still compete at a high level? And of course, those doubts come in. But I think for me, it's not, I can't dwell on them because if I dwell on them, they, they become something bigger. And what I have to focus on is doing what I can on the, you know, the day to day here that will then, you know, set me up for success later when I am able to, you know, return to training and, you know, attack new goals um, from that aspect. Because, and for me, it's constant, it's constantly changing. Like I'm going to have to adapt how I train and how I get fit and, you know, how I can prepare for these coming out of, you know, this injury. And I think it keeps, you know, it keeps it fresh to some extent. Um, and, you know, it's also a learning curve of like learning what works and, um, you know, maybe, you know, figuring out, like discovering a sport that I, that I love almost as much as running, like for instance, gravel biking. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I feel it's, it's like, an, it's another opportunity for me to kind of gain more information about myself too. The last time we spoke for the podcast, I remember you telling me how in general you have a hard time asking people for help and you needed a lot of it after your accident because you you couldn't do anything and you mentioned the broken ankle after the last time we spoke uh right now you're coming back from surgery i mean you're not as incapacitated as you were after the accident but has it gotten easier for you to ask for help over the last few years when you've been dealing with these sorts of injuries or just trying to figure out what the path forward is going to be you know that's interesting you would think yes but it's a resounding no <laughs> And I think it's because I am just so independent and I really like that. I like that I can just be, mm-hmm. you know, just take care of things that I want to do. And like, you know, I feel like my best self when I, and like I can show up for others and I'm like also taking care of me. But mm-hmm. I do think that it, it has become easier because I can identify the people that are in my circle that I can ask for help from and that are, you know, there for me. 
um, and who can, who understand it, who can get it, who I can be like raw and honest with. And so because I have identified those people in my life, asking for help has become easier. It's kind of like in a chemical equation, like the activation energy or the barrier to overcome for the reaction to move forward. It's like that little hill has become shorter. It's still there, but it's become a little bit shorter. So it's, so it's like easy, a, a little bit easier for me, for me to, to ask. I didn't ask you this last time, but where does your stubbornness and independent streak come from? You know, I don't know, but I think it came from me being the youngest. I was the younger sister. My mm-hmm. and I think I didn't like I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I just because I was younger didn't mean that like, you know, I should be left out or like from the older kids or also just because I was a girl didn't mean that like I didn't enjoy playing sports with the boys. And um, I think it was just that kind of thing when people told me I can't or that I didn't like fit this little criteria. It just made me even more determined to show them that they were wrong <laughs> and that I could do it. And yeah, I think it was also just um, just my curiosity that I wanted to find the answers and that I wanted to know I wanted to know why. And that pushed me to some really, you know, extremes like in my, in my childhood, but also just, you know, just now, like I'm, I'm thinking about this one story when uh, my family and I, we went cross country skiing. I grew up in Fort Collins, um, Colorado, and uh, we went up the Poudre Canyon to go skiing. Um, I was a growing kid. So I had to rent boots and we made the hour and a half drive up to the Poudre Canyon to where we were going to go skiing. And I had two left boots. They had like mixed up the rental, whatever. And like, I wanted to go skiing. And so I like put on my boots and I like convinced my parents it was going to be okay. And we like, you know, skied for the afternoon and like, it did not feel good. Like I I remember my foot felt like it was bending the wrong way. Um, But I still skied and I did it because I was like, yeah, like I'm not going to be the one that complains. Like I was just like that stubborn. (laughs) I remember you telling me that story last time that we we spoke for the podcast, but it's good to hear it again. And also, <laughs> as you were setting it up, I I'm picking up just from knowing you. Like I was picking up other things in there. This like sense of exploration. I mean, you're you know we talked about it at length last time. You're you're a scientist. You're very curious. Um, mm-hmm. You know how how things work. Like why you know why things are you know the the mm-hmm. way that that they are, and and it's it's just really like fascinating for me to hear when and how those seeds were were planted, and then to get an idea of just how they've grown over the past you know couple decades. Yeah, and it's it's um it's something that I think that I just can't change about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- and I think that it's also something that everyone is born with. I mean, you just look at a kid and they're so curious. They always ask questions. I mean, it actually can be quite annoying because they're constantly asking why or like grabbing for things. You're just like, oh my gosh, like quit it for a second. <laughs> um, but it's actually, and I think as adults, like we maybe learn to become less curious or, you know, like not ask as many hard questions. And that never happened to me, I think, because of science, but then also because of running, because I was always asking questions of, mm-hmm. okay, what does this mean from an intellectual standpoint? And then now for running, okay, can I run this far or this type of, you know, course or technical terrain? Um, and that constantly that just encouraged that curiosity within me. Um, and I think it's, it's just, it's so important. And so it's something that I can't get rid of, but I think it's something that if you practice it and you encourage it, it's something that everyone can possess again. What are you curious about right now in your current situation? Um, I'm curious what, recovery is going to look like I'm curious what how it's going to feel like I mean I've been injured before but not this exact one so I'm curious um how I'm healing how you know my body will adapt um it's always different every time Uh, I'm also curious um 
I mean, I'm like reading a bunch of books right now. So <laughs> it's like letting my curiosity kind of go, go that way. Right now I'm reading a book on wasps <laughs> and Previously, I've had a pretty bad opinion of wasps because they sting you, um, but I'm hoping this book will change my mind, and so far it has. Um, <laughs> but I'm also just curious of, like, <laughs> I'm curious of the future. I'm curious, um, you know, where, where, you know, this is going to lead me, what doors it's going to open for me, um, you know, even if it's, like, closed some already for certain, um, you know, competitions or projects. Um, yeah, I just I like to think about it as instead of maybe it is one door closing, but that just means that so many more are opening. And I'm curious to see like what those are going to be. You mentioned your book out and back, and I have a very early copy of it right here. This is Ooh, from yeah, you have like one at of the least originals. a year ago. <laughs> um, if yeah, if not, a, if not a year and a half ago is supposed to come out. It says on the back August 2020, and that got pushed back a bit, which we can talk about <laughs> here. But it's it's yeah. largely about your accident in Norway in 2017, and you know how you came back from that against all odds. And it just came out; it's widely available now. You're doing a lot of media and promo for it. I think you've got like a virtual book event later mm-hmm. tonight. I mean, yeah, I don't know if irony is the right word, just given that, you know, you had surgery within the last couple of weeks, you're immobilized again. What has that been like putting energy into a book launch and telling that story while you're living through certainly not the same thing, but now you're overcoming something else. Um, I'd love to just dig into that a little bit more with you. And that is such a good question because um and we actually i mean yeah like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast like we've we've talked before i would consider you a good friend and um i was reaching out to you and um you know at the beginning of this kind of during at the beginning of this injury and deciding kind of like what to do to move forward and um honestly mario i was so devastated i felt like my book was now like the biggest fraud. Like I, I felt like a fraud. I felt like, how can I publish this recovery story? And would I feel like I'm in the same position again? Like, what is it about? Like my story is now, it's not, it's not amazing. It's not even true. I was thinking to myself, I felt just so defeated. And it was the last thing that I wanted to do was to talk about, you know, a recovery or the accident when I felt that something that happened three, nearly three and a half years ago, you know, it's, it's still haunting me from a physical aspect, you know? Um, so I felt that. And then the other thing was just this immense sadness because I wanted so badly to celebrate this huge accomplishment Um, because writing a book is no small feat. And um, like you mentioned, it was supposed to be published in August, 2020, but because of the pandemic and, um, you know, things were pushed back. And so, you know, spending so much time and effort waiting and and working on this book where I poured a lot of myself into emotionally, um, I felt like I couldn't celebrate it in a real way. I felt like this injury was taking something from me and taking that happiness away from me. Um, and, you know, all of those feelings I think are valid and they're, they're real. They certainly are real. Like I, I think I sometimes feel that way as well. But again, like you mentioned, I think it's an opportunity. Um, it's an incredible irony um, that I'm here again, um, but maybe it's allowed me to even focus more attention on, you know, the book launch and say yes to different opportunities that I might not have otherwise um, it's an opportunity for me to really relate to people who, you know, are injured themselves and reading my book and telling me how much it's helping them. And so, you know, it's a rare opportunity where, you know, I can reread chapters that I wrote, you know, at these at certain, you know, parallels in my own recovery um, or write new pieces, you know, blog pieces for myself or for the community to kind of help inspire them and, you know, rebuild um, 
you know, at, at these certain points where, you know, we find ourselves in these unexpected circumstances. Like, certainly this is the last thing that I expected. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, felt, I felt and feel all of those things, but I'm trying to soften the negative voices and focus more on the positive ones. Um, because at the end of the day, this is a huge accomplishment. And whether I'm injured or not doesn't take away from you know, the writing of the book or my story. And if anything, it just kind of exemplifies the reason why I wrote the book. It's less of a recovery story and more about a story of human resilience. And I think I'm the embodiment of resilience, whether it's physical or mental. Um, So, yeah. I love that. And knowing you as I do, I'd have to agree. And I think what can be challenging with something like a book is when you finish writing it, when it gets published, there's a finality to that. And you're like, it's done. And this is the the story. There's a beginning to it and there's, there's an end. But the reality is because it is your story or part of your story, it's really just one chapter. And now you're, you're living through the next chapter. It doesn't mean it has to be a book, um, but you're still going, you know, you're still living life. You're still experiencing things as a, as a person, as an athlete on a physical level, on an emotional level. And I mean, you know, I've read some of your recent blog posts. You've been very open and honest in sharing that stuff. Not that anyone, especially yourself, wishes you were in the current situation that you're in now, but this is almost like a, you know, like an addendum to the book. Um, and it's like, Hey, for further, (laughs) you know, further reading, like the story, you know, the story does continue, but there's, there's hope in that. Um, and I think there are lessons to be learned in that. And I mean, I've got to tip my hat to you just for how you've handled yourself, because I know just through our personal interactions, how challenging it's been. Absolutely. And like I said, it's like, you know, there's those people behind closed doors, you can kind of trust your trust, you know, with your honest opinions. And you're certainly Mm -hmm. one of them for me, like, you know, how, how, how hard this is for me, um, you know, on a daily basis. Um, But I think, like I said, that those two feelings and emotions can simultaneously exist. It's like, okay, even though I feel this way, and I feel defeated, Mm -hmm. it's not going to prevent me from showing up for myself on a, on a, you know, bigger, bigger level. And yeah, I love how you say it's an addendum because yeah, definitely. It's good. <laughs> it definitely is. And um, the other scary thing about uh, a book is like, it's not like a blog post. I can't just like go and press delete. Like it's out there. <laughs> People have it now. So, um, mm-hmm. but that's also the cool thing about it. So what I love about writing, because I feel it's like, I think I wrote about this in a blog post a couple weeks ago, but it's about how, why I chose writing and writing is cathartic, but it also, I feel like it's an opportunity to create this community. Um, like literally as I'm writing, I feel it's like I'm creating the space for people to connect, like between, you know, the words and between the lines on the page. It's like people can read those words and insert their own experiences. And it's like, we can have this conversation and it creates empathy. It creates sympathy. And, um, I think that that's really powerful. You finished the book or at least the manuscript for it over a year ago at this point. And as we mentioned, it was supposed to come out last August. And because of the pandemic, it got pushed back. Uh, It just was recently released. And you mentioned how you've gone back and reread some parts of it. What's that been like for you in your current situation, having put those words behind you. I don't know how often you were revisiting them in the interim, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you probably, I'm guessing, haven't gone back to it or didn't have any real reason to go back to it with any kind of of frequency, but you have of late. And I'm just real curious what that's brought up for you. Yeah, that's a good question because, I mean, well, with uh, (laughs) with editing a book, you do reread your work (laughs) a lot. And so I was like, you know, I was reading it. I was like, is this any good anymore? Like, oh my God, do I need to rewrite it? (laughs) Um, But like, I was never able to read it in kind of with the appreciation that I have now. 
And that has already been such a gift because before I was kind of reading it with this critical lens of like, hmm, okay, like now I'm an author, like are people actually going to like this? Can they relate to it? Am I getting a point across? What exactly is my point? Um, Like, did I use the right wording here? Should I sound more intelligent or, you know, like, you know, what's my voice? Um, And so to be able to strip that all away and go back and read it from the perspective of someone who's struggling and reading those those thoughts that I then those beliefs that I still have today, but them written down on paper. It's been so just beautiful and rewarding to just see it for what it is. Um, And yeah, it's 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 been a really good perspective, actually, to be able to kind of read those words, not from the lens of like a critical lens, but more of just from you know, basically a safe space to relate. Did it help you with your current grieving process? You know, I think so, because it made me feel less alone, even though I knew that I wrote those words. (laughs) It's like, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's it's weird, but um, it does because it's like, I wrote them and I know that I believe those things deep down. And it's just, you know, I have to maybe, I mean, I wrote this chapter. It's like, you know, way of the warrior. It's like, I have this armor. It's like, it's a part of me. Like I might put it in the back of my closet for a while and like leave it there until I need it again. And, you know, now I need it. And so I'm going to go back to my closet and dust it off and like put it back on again. And, um, you know, that was just kind of, kind of a reminder that, you know, I, I had myself covered um, and I just had to take some extra time, you know, cleaning my, my armor again before I could, I was ready to wear it. How did the book come to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I actually had this idea, um, the end of 2018, because mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of writing. I was really honest with my recovery process because um, I didn't want to be the, you know, the cliche athlete who is injured and then all of a sudden disappears from, you know, social media or the public eye to recover. And then the next thing you know, they're back, you know, crushing races. Like I wanted to be honest with the process. So um, I did that and I did it like publicly. And um I just saw how useful writing was for me. It's just so cathartic. It's it's just a, an active way for me to process things. And um, and I wanted not only the challenge, but the opportunity to, you know, put something together, but more in long form. This is, you know, the first thing that I've written mm-hmm. that's been long form. I mean, I, you know, I've written scientific papers and, um, you know, shorter, you know, blogs, but never a whole entire book. Um and so I actually pitched my idea to a publishing company, Blue Star Press, in um, December of 2018. And then I signed with uh, this company at uh, the beginning of 2019. Um, and then, you know, I had this injury, which kind of was like I had already started to, you know, um, I had received my first uh, check for the advance at that point. And I was like, oh, crap, like I need to start writing and I was just, I did this thing where I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to deposit this check unless, until I def, like send in my first set of pages. Um, and uh, I like, then, you know, the ankle break happened. And so it was kind of this like catalyst for me to sit down and actually write and have something to write again, because I was kind of in that recovery mindset again. Um, and then pretty much from, you know, end of January until, um, October of 2019, I was writing every single day. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the book kind of, you know, taking me through, taking it through the, um, you know, the accident and the recovery, but also it was so beautiful being able to kind of go back to Trumzo and having that, being able to write about that experience and include that as a chapter in the book. Um, I've, I just describe writing as it's just it was very healing. Let's talk about that return to Trumso because when we talked last for the podcast, you hadn't broken your ankle yet. Um, and we, we did talk about you returning to Trumso later that year just as an act of closure, really. You weren't going there to race the event, but you were going back to the scene of the injury. What was that 
experience like for you? Yeah, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but um, honestly, after I broke my ankle and then I I kind of got back into running and racing and I made it to Europe and um, did my, did the 50K at Cortina and ended up winning. As soon as I crossed that finish line, I was like, Hillary, this is it. Like you're in Europe, like you need to go back and like just revisit that place that's been like a super dark hole in your life, you know? Um, I think after I crossed that finish line, I called up Manu Par, who is the the man who was first on the scene um, with the accident. And I called him up and I was like, hey, if I do, if I come to Trumso, would you race the, the 57 kilometer race with me? And I think he was a little bit hesitant, but this, because I was asking, he's like, yes, of course, like, let's do this. And so then the next call I made or like the next email I made was to the race directors at Tromso um, to get me out there. Um, I also invited my mother to come out there because I felt like she needed a, you know, a fresh, um, she needed to close the chapter for Uh her as well. Um, But for me, I went, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do the race. I knew I needed to go back there. And so I made this plan with Manu to go back to the site of the fall before the actual race, because I didn't know what was really going to happen as far as like PTSD or, you know, kind of what physical reaction I was going to have. And I'd rather have that like in a safe space than, you know, during a race. Um, But I got to Tromso on a Tuesday and then that Wednesday we went out on the course and I went with Manu And that was the first time that I was actually able to talk with him about what happened that day. And I think it was in that moment that I just realized how serious it was and how lucky I was to not only be there like moving and running again, but to be alive. And Mm -hmm the way that Manu described how he found me and what he was expecting when he saw me, um, it just made me really grateful that I wasn't, that I was still here and that I was actually strong enough to even be back in this spot, but let alone, you know, do this super technical mountain race. And um, yeah, I remember we got to that spot and he was kind of explaining what happened And I don't necessarily remember what happened. I think my body did because I felt like just my pulse race. I felt like adrenaline. um, and I just felt uncomfortable. Like I wanted to get out of there. Um, And so we, you know, we kind of got down, um, you know, he dropped me back off of my hotel room and I just, I, I just felt this, I just wanted to be alone. I didn't have words to put with anything. I couldn't even write about it because I just felt so, so kind of paralyzed in, I wouldn't call it fear, but just, um, you know, the trauma of revisiting that place. Sure. And the only thing I could, yeah, the only thing I could do was um, look at flights to go back home (laughs) Um, because I wasn't sure that I could do the race and I just wanted to get out of there. But um, I finally was able to call Manu and the next day I went out to his kind of Norwegian little cabin and we spent the day there and like went on a little run. Um, and I was actually entered in the vertical kilometer race and that evening. And, um, we went out there and I did the vertical kilometer race and I actually placed second. And at that point I was like, I have nothing to prove for, to this place. Like I'm, I'm back. I'm strong. I'm like competing well on an international level. Like, what am I afraid of? And then, you know, a couple of days later, I was able to do the race with Manu and it was one of the most incredible experiences. I remember when we went on that ridge, um, Humper Rock and Ridge, the ridge where I fell, we were like laughing and playing trivia games. And like, like it was, it was an incredible experience. I remember saying hi to people who, People were like crying when they saw me because these race volunteers were the same ones that were there two years ago when I had fallen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was just, it was not only for me, but it was for them and the community. 
and it was for Manu and it was for my mother who was there like learning Norwegian and cheering for me with the cowbell like as loud as she possibly could (laughs) um so I was just think at the end of the day it was just this incredible opportunity to kind of repaint and um create a whole new experience and form new positive memories from this place that I had just so much fear and uncertainty about. Did that change almost instantly afterward once you left and did it give you the sense of closure that you were looking for? I think so. I think it's interesting because when you think of like closure, it's like, I, at least I think about like, okay, I'm going to go back there. I'm like going to tidy things up. It's going to like shut the chapter. I can like move on and like never think about it again. (laughs) Um, that's certainly not the case. Um, but I think it was able, I was able to just have a new perspective. And I think the closure for me was realizing that I was a different person than I was that day, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in what ways were you a different person? If, if you can step out of yourself and look at Hillary of 2017 and then look at Hillary of a couple years later, what were the big differences? I would say I'm, I'm still stubborn, but now I have a new perspective of what stubborn means. Um, I think I'm, I'm stubborn and now I can ask for help. I'm independent and I can have a community and have people be there for me in a real way. Um, I'm a fierce competitor and I have this, you know, huge trauma that has allowed me to experience what strength actually looks like, looks like in kind of a softer sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I'm the same person, but with all of these additions, right. Um, And I can only describe it as just, it's just, I think it's just resilience. It's, it's, I've learned from these experiences and they've made, they've made me stronger. And it's not what I would have defined strength as before. Like before I would have just described strength as, okay, you feeling uncomfortable or tired today, like, but you're still going to get your training run in. And, you know, no matter what. And like today, I, I think about that from a more balanced perspective and, um, you know, it, considering mental health and, you know, and emotional health, not only physical health. Um, and I think it makes me a better person and it makes me a better athlete, um, makes me a better friend. Um, yeah, it's just these additions of all these different perspectives that I have. I'm the same person, I'm the same base, I'm that same little Hillary, you know, who loves running, who loves science and who loves, you know, um, catching bugs and who, you know, will ski with two left ski boots. But, um, now I also have all of these other, <laughs> like these other, I don't know, softer, but um, I think wiser uh, experiences to add to that. Do you think you would have eventually acquired those even if you hadn't gone through something as traumatic as the accident? Or does it take a catalyzing event like that sometimes? Not that you ever want anyone to go through it or much less experience it yourself to kind of, you know, un- unlock those things or to give you that new perspective. You know, I think it does. I don't, I think it takes a, sh- a different shape, a different form for everyone. You know, mine was a pretty traumatic injury mm-hmm. um, and experience, but I think that in order to change there's something that has has to spark that change. Um, you can't, you know, if you always stay the same, it's just, it's like training. If you're, you know, you're training an athlete and coach, you like as a coach, you need stimuli. And that means changes in pace, changes in effort. And, you know, it's the same principle. So you have to have change in order to evoke a response. And so, you know, mine was, you know, I have my story about what has helped me to become a better person, but everyone has that, um, you know, whether it's a move or a change in a relationship status or, you know, an injury that they're struggling with or, um, you know, a low point emotionally or, you know, any of that can can be significant enough in our own individual experiences to, you know, to to to, you know, be the catalyst to 
become new and stronger or learn from something. Well, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's a not easy question to consider <laughs> much less answer, but I, I really do appreciate yeah. your, just your, your openness and honesty in doing so. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, again, it's like, we have to, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I don't shy away from the hard stuff anymore. And that's like, you know, I know I enjoy like hard things from, you know, a training perspective, like super mm-hmm. challenging races, but that, al- that also goes like emotionally. Like I can't expect to be a better person unless I can, you know, work through those things as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm happy to talk about hard subjects. <laughs> well, let's continue down that, that road or, or trail since I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> I remember last time we spoke for the podcast very clearly, you telling me, how emotions have always confused you. Like they don't make sense to you. Um, they're just like really, really complex. And I guess now I'm, I'm curious, like how have you evolved emotionally over the past few years? Oh, this is such a good question. I still am confused by emotions. <laughs> like I, I wish that they were cut and dry. I wish I could just be like pick and choose. <laughs> like I wish that I would only experience one of them at a time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wish sometimes I could, you know, express exactly how I'm feeling. Um, but, you know, I think what's changed is that I'm okay with their messiness. And I don't need to define them. I don't need to, you know, pick and choose. I don't need for it to be so black and white. I'm okay with, you know, the full rainbow and like sometimes like the smeared rainbow of emotions that I uh, experience. Um, And I think that has allowed me uh, to become closer with, you know, friends, um, other people in my community. because I'm willing to accept like the, the messiness of it and figure out that it's actually beautiful. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because I'm such a scientist and I love right, like black and white answers, like right and wrong. I I like it. Um, it makes sense. It makes it really easy to plan, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I just accepting that it's, you know, imperfect. And I think it makes for kind of a more interesting and beautiful, picture in the end. Circling back to your book, it's been out for a little while now. What's the initial response been like from readers? And let's leave it at that for now. And then maybe I'll dig in a little bit further after you answer. Yeah, it's been so, okay. So I was very scared. It's a scary thing to have, Mm -hmm. you know, your book out there, your words, you can't press delete. It's there. You know, people get to read it and judge and people can be mean. Um, It's scary to put something out into the world, uh, especially something like a a book, which is more more likely than not going to outlast you. (laughs) I know. Right. Um, So it's like a legacy. Um, But it's been so positive, not only. And here's the thing that I've liked the most about the book and the reviews that I've that I've received, like just from, you know, messages on Instagram or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people telling me how they're finding it. um, Is that it's and this is this is my intention all along is that it's not just a book for someone who's injured or recovering. It's a book for anyone who's going through any change. And it's something that I think anyone can relate to, no matter like what stage in life they're at, no matter if they're an athlete or not. And um, that's the really cool feedback that I've been getting is that, sure, from people who are injured and recovering and they're saying it's a huge inspiration. But for people who, you know, are just who aren't serious runners or not injured at this current moment and they're, you know, getting a lot out of it from, you know, just of how to overcome life's challenges and, you know, accepting that life is messy and, um, you know, how to keep moving forward and following your, your passions and, um, continuing to learn from, from mistakes or, you know, things that happen. So yeah, it's been, and even before I broke my foot, like it was, I was planned to have like a, a total, you know, virtual tour. Um, so, I've even been able to like lean into that more. And so it's been really cool to connect um, kind of virtually with different communities all over the world, even though I'm staying here in Colorado. (laughs) What has 
the feedback been like from your friends and family, those who know you the best and know your story and have been alongside you for every step of it once they've they've read this you know comprehensive volume that you spent so long writing well first of all i think my mom is the biggest fan of me (laughs) she like went into her local bookstore and like pre-ordered like 20 books and was like bringing bringing me them to sign and then like going ordering more books in firehouse uh, like the old firehouse books in fort collins and you know she's like single-handedly you know responsible for the book sales in fort collins i think so thanks mom (laughs) and um (laughs) um so there's that support but i think you know she was one of the first ones to 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 read the book and i mean it's it's cool for her because you know i tell the perspective of these stories of my childhood but you know she was there experiencing them in the in a real way and you know i think throughout the injury recovery she was able to really understand why i loved running so much even though it was painful for her to to witness it all and scary for her to know that i wanted to return back to the sport um and so yeah and so obviously then now dealing with this injury it's because she's seen me there she's you know, she's also sad for me and, um, you know, trying to be there for me. Um, but again, like she knows I can do it. Um, but even, you know, my friends, I write about my friend Rush, um, Combs in the book and how he helped me also Alan Lim, you know, they, they, I was, you know, stayed at their house when I was injured and, you know, it's, it's, it's brought a new layer to that, to that friendship and, you know, them also reading the book and seeing them, their names in print, um, and then seeing how, you know, I not only have I evolved and changed from the um, from the accident, but, you know, how our friendship has evolved over this, you know, three years until now. And um, it's been really it's been really cool. Um, and, you know, that's also just like new new friends that I've made and um, them, you know, knowing me, knowing me pretty well now um, because I, you know, that accident changed me and now I'm more open and, you know, able mm-hmm. to kind of let in, you know, meet new people and really connect with them. And then and them knowing me now after the accident, then reading about it and being like, wow, I can't believe it. But I see how you've changed and how now you're like this way more. Um, so it's, it's just been, it's been really cool. And it's helped me to realize how much of a community I actually have and how, before I think the accident, I really struggled with feeling like a lone wolf and Mm -hmm. that I had not really a community and that I was quote unquote too much or too independent. Um, But I think through the accident and through, um, you know, the recovery, I now feel like I found, you know, my, my people and my community. And it's been really cool to see how those people have persisted. you know, throughout that time frame, and, you know, writing the book. And then it's like, now I can celebrate that with them as well. So it's, uh, it's been, it's, it's really cool. How have you leaned into your community now that you feel like you have a solid one where in the past you mentioned how you felt like more of a lone wolf. And as we discussed earlier, you're just very independent person by nature. Yeah. So honestly, I think I've been able to, since I know myself better now, mm-hmm. I'm able to identify people who are my people. And um, I think at, at the beginning when I was experiencing all this newness and, you know, recovering and I wasn't sure like who, who I needed or who were really there for me. And so now I have those people. So like when I need help again, like now I can, you know, they've always been my friends and they can, you know, now they're there just a little bit more and helping me out or, you know, meeting, making new friends and having those relationships be really meaningful because like I said, I know myself better and I know, you know, who kind of fits with, with that um, and who's kind of who I feel comfortable with. And it's easier to, to find that community now. Um, I don't, I mean, for me, I don't need a huge community. Like when I speak about my community, I'm speaking to like four people, you know, 
And but that's all I need. And, you know, some of them have been there from um, before the accident. And there's, you know, been some new additions, but um, it's because I know myself better and I can, you know, identify, you know, a, a core community, people who I really click with. Um, and yeah, it's, it's cool to have that, to be able to share and to be able to, it's, it's like to share with someone like just because they, you feel like they see you, like they get you. And I think it's all because mm-hmm. I know myself better. It's, um, it's like, if I didn't know who I was or what I stood for, my core values, how could I expect to find a community that, you know, reflected that, or, you know, that I felt comfortable expressing that in, but because I know myself that much more now, and I'm able to kind of let in those messy feelings and be, I describe myself as a very genuine person. I'm genuinely happy the majority of the time, <laughs> but you know, I also express anger and sadness very genuinely. <laughs> so it's like, you know, some people, you know, I, my core community are those people who can take me in all forms. And, um, you know, it's, it's very few people, but it like, it makes me feel at home and, I, I believe this whole experience and many and all the injuries have um, allowed me to kind of get there. I appreciate that. And I love what you said about community not having to be massive. And I think that's one of the most common misconceptions when we use that word community, whether it's an actual community that we engage with where we live or if it's this larger virtual community online, whether it's through social media or other platforms, I think people feel like they need to be a part of of something really big when they talk about community. And if, if they're not, then they can feel really alone. But you really don't need that many people. It's like you said, a few folks that you know you can lean into when you need to, that you can be open and honest and vulnerable and angry and like all of those things with, and they're not going to think any less of you. Um, or, you know, maybe they'll, they'll push back and challenge you when you need to be challenged, but you know, it's coming from a good place. Um, but I, I think community can be intimidating for a lot of people. And I think that's such an important takeaway to, you know, not feel like it has to be, be huge. I mean, if your community is like two, three, five people, that's great. You don't really need much more than that. Yeah. And honestly, I, I thought it was supposed to be, you know, what you just described, like, I'm supposed to like everyone and have this huge group of people. And if I don't, you know, if I don't have that, then uh, like I'm failing in some way, but I just learned that that's not the case, at least for me. And I feel very lucky to have found that you know, core group of people that are there no matter what. Like I spent also, you know, a year during the pandemic in France and, you know, still my, my core people were still there for me no matter mm-hmm. where I was. Um, and it's just, it's because of that. It's because that they see the real me, but also it's because I let them see the real me. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can feel a part of it regardless of where you are, whether you're at home in Boulder now, or as you said, in France, or eventually maybe traveling about the world again. I know, we can only hope. (laughs) A couple more things before we wrap up. You talked about how writing for you after the accident was very cathartic, and eventually that became a book. And you've dealt with other injuries since then, you're recovering from surgery. Now I'm curious what your current writing practice looks like. Not that I expect that you'll have another book coming out anytime soon, but have you <laughs> leaned back into writing as, as a, as a practice? Um, I know you pub- publish blog posts and things like that from time to time, but do you set time aside for yourself right now just to get words down or at least just get them out of your head and, and onto the page? Yeah. And honestly, it's like I notice when my when I when I'm feeling out of sync, it's because I'm not writing as much. Writing is pretty much a daily practice for me, whether it's to do lists or, um, you know, just getting kind of thoughts out on paper of like checking in with myself of how I'm feeling um, during during the day. Um, 
writing, I think, is, is super powerful for me. It always has been, even before I started writing the book. Um, but absolutely, and I think, you know, serendipitously, um, the the publication of my book um, kind of coincided with this injury. And so, like, it was kind of, I already had a plan to kind of, like, put out some more, like, writing and blog posts, but it's been this super creative um, method for me to be able to kind of dig deep and be real in what I'm experiencing now. And so, um, it's kind of been an added focus to help me to actually write and put something down on paper. I mean, or, you know, computer <laughs> screens. <laughs> but I also, I, I do... For me, it's like writing on a computer. I have about like 10 different kind of like working things up on my computer at the moment um, of just different kind of ideas and and like pieces that I'm working on. Um, But for me, the written word, like in an actual journey, journal, pen to paper is super important for me. Um, And I do that on a daily basis. And it could be a couple sentences or it could be a couple pages. What is it about that tactile experience of putting actual pen to paper rather than just words into a digital word processor that is like, so like just so meaningful to you. Yeah. And so first of all, I think it comes from scientifically like so I go back to my neuroscience background that there's been many studies that have shown just the act of like writing down a to-do list or writing down a task. Um, mm-hmm. You're more likely to, to do the thing that you write down. Um, even, you know, uh, so, so even if you don't necessarily remember it, even if you just write it down, you're more likely to do it. Um, I also think with memory to remember something, I always write it down Um even if I don't put it in my like a calendar, so to speak, just the act of writing it down, like secures it into my mind. So I think it has that um, because I think we are, it's humans are very tactile. And um, I think just the combination of like the touch with the pen um, and like, literally, I think it's just an avenue for you to like literally put your brain down on paper and you can literally then see what you're creating And I think it's the process of creating something that you can see that you're like building this, you know, like a page or a story or, you know, something laid out in front of you. And I think that's a little bit different when we type words um, than when we actually like write and create them. Last question before we wrap this one up. We talked at the beginning of this conversation about how you were working through and are still to some degree working through a low period coming off of this most recent injury and surgery, which I mean, more or less has you incapacitated at this point because you're still healing, but what is giving you hope right now? Oh, that's such a good question. So what's giving me hope um, is that my body's rebuilding and Knowing that I'm, you know, just trying to learn something from this experience. Um, And what also is giving me hope is the community as a whole, the running community. Um, It's giving me hope of um, and kind of reigniting this belief, um, not only in myself, but just kind of in the greater community as a whole that, um, you know, we can be there for one another in hard times. Um, So, yeah, I think I just I, I feel I feel hopeful, like physically, like knowing that my body will heal and that I'm going to use this as a as an opportunity to learn and, um, you know, become stronger or, you know, train differently from it. Um, and then, yeah, just hope to the community that um, I'm just so grateful to them for, you know, reading my book and, you know, see, and seeing the rawness in my experience and my words and, and really um, connecting to it. And I'm just hopeful that it's really going to help people. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot to feel hopeful for. Um, yeah. I love it. Well, I enjoyed this conversation and I thank you so much for coming back on the morning shakeout podcast. Oh, it was such a good one again. Thanks so much, Mario.
All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Picky Bars and the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this episode of the show. Picky Bars is a dream partnership for me. I've been fueling on Picky products since day one, and it's been incredible to watch the company grow and the product line expand. Picky makes their products with real ingredients that I can pronounce and recognize, and there's a peace of mind that comes from not second-guessing what I'm putting into my body. They're offering a great deal to Morning Shakeout listeners right now. Just go to pickybars.com slash Mario and enter the code Mario at checkout. That's M-A-R-I-O, all caps, to save 20% off your purchase of 25 bucks or more. You can also join the Picky Club at that link, which is a subscription service, and save 20% off your first box with the code Mario. Super easy, amazing offer. Take advantage of it while you can at pickybars.com slash Mario. The Atlanta Track Club would like me to let you know that both member and lottery registration for the AJC Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia is going on right now. The race will be held in person and virtually this year over two days, July 3rd and 4th. Limited spots are available and Atlanta Track Club members get guaranteed entry and race day preference. And if you're not a member of the Atlanta Track Club, you can join today, no matter where you live, and then sign up to get a guaranteed spot at Peachtree. Non-members will be placed into a lottery and race day preference will be accommodated as spots remain. This 10K is one of America's iconic road races and registration is going on now until May 1st. You can put your name in today at ajc.com slash peachtree. That's ajc.com slash peachtree. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 